with you this morning, and I hope that you do. If not, pull up your phone. You can use that. You will need it this morning, especially we're going to walk through a significant amount of text. Go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Often in Scripture, the Lord couches for us our relationship with God in, in terms and metaphors that we can understand. One of the dominant themes that we see with our relationship with God is that he is, um, he is our paternal father. This is often introduced in um, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus reminds us many times that Jesus is our heavenly father. So he wants us to understand that we can relate to God as we can with our father. For instance, Matthew 5, 16 Jesus spoke, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, the same Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 6, verse 4. Jesus says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, verse 8. Your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Matthew 6, 9, you should pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus wants us to understand that we can, we can relate to God in, with paternal understanding, that he is our Father. And the metaphors of our relationship with God do not end with the Father. We see in Isaiah 66 that often some attributes of God are related to the comfort that a mother can bring. Isaiah 66, 13, the prophet says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. So as a mother comforts their child, so God will bring you comfort. Why would God want us to understand our relationship with paternal links? I think there's many reasons, but some of those are this. No one loves you more than your father or mother. No one wants best for you in this life than your father or mother. No one understands what gives you the most joy. No one understands the, the hardest part of your life. No one understands the depths of your sadness. And no one understands in your life how you need discipline than your father or your mother. And so what more appropriate passage of Scripture on Mother's Day that I could find 
and to look at the plagues of Egypt, right? So we're going to walk through the plagues this morning with God's grace and with his mercy. So I want to give you this today, um, that this is the Father's plea, the Heavenly Father's plea on Mother's Day. The Heavenly Father's plea on Mother's Day. And I ask as we look at God's Word that we look beyond the physical and we look to what is spiritually going on behind the scenes. Right? So our battle is not within flesh and blood, what we can see, but God calls us to a greater reality. And we see this in verse 1 of chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, circle this, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall circle this. They shall know that I am the Lord when I stretched out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Let's pray. Father God, we ask our Heavenly Father, the one who comforts us as a mom comforts a child, that we could understand you deeply today. And Lord, we recognize that we cannot understand anything in your word unless your Holy Spirit gives us understanding. So we ask that you would sharpen our minds, that you would open our hearts, and that you would strengthen our hands to act upon the faith that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This is not going to be a sermon on 10 steps how to be a better mom. Um, Truth is, I don't have that. I'm not a mom. So that's not easy for me to pull out of my back pocket. And the other truth in Scripture is that we do not have for anyone, if you do these 10 things, here's the ideal of perfection. But what I will give you this morning is this, three biblical principles that anyone can live by that would lead us into God's grace, strengthen our families, and our community would see that we are and we belong to the king. The first is this, verse 1. God desires that we lift high the banner of Christ. That we lift high the banner of Christ. Verse 1, God says to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Now, what does this peculiar phrase mean? God doesn't tell Pharaoh, um, tell Moses that he would be made God to Pharaoh. You see, what's going on here is that Pharaoh believed himself God. And so the true God was sending someone to be the spokesperson for God in his life. We are called to lift high the banner of God in our life. We are image bearers of the Lord. And this is the truth that we see in Scripture. Often, most people will never see God face to face. Pharaoh did not see God face to face, but who did he see? He could see Moses. And so the Lord, the one true God, Yahweh was telling Moses that 
Pharaoh would look at you, and because you are lifting high the banner of God, he would see the one true God through Moses. So I ask you, when people see you, you've heard the phrase often, sometimes you're the only Bible someone would read. Often you are the only image of God that people will see. And are you lifting high that banner in your life? I believe this metaphor comes from warlike imagery. Throughout the history of the world, armies would go into battle and they would have one person that would be the standard bearer for the army. And their one job was to hold the flag. That's not a job that I want. If I'm going into battle, give me a sword, right? Give me, um, give me a gun. I don't want to be the guy that when we go into war, you say, here, Josh, hold the flag. That's not what I, I want. But the standard bearer had a huge impact on the outcome of the battle. You see, if you were to get turned around or get lost in the battle, where would you look to find your strength? Where would you look to find your battalion? You would look back to the flag, the standard. If, if the group marched forward, where would you look to, to find your marching orders? You would look to the standard bearer. You would look to the flag. And I believe God is reminding us here, moms, dads, youth, anyone, stand up for Jesus Christ. Hold the flag of Christ in your life. That when the world sees you, that they would see that you are marching for Jesus Christ. Now let's pause here and remind us what God's word does not say. God's word does not say, look, Josh, grab the flag and go wave it in people's faces. Right? Really let them know what I'm, I'm going to say. The, the Bible doesn't say, hey, grab the, the standard of Christ and, and beat people with the flagpole. That's not what it says. God's word says that we should stand firm in the strength of the Lord, in the might of his power. That you would hold the flag and that you would stand up for Christ and that you would say, I am going to be a light in darkness. I am going to be the one that holds high the flag of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Pastor, how does that look practically? How can I, how can I be a light in this world? I want to give you a practical illustration of that. We have a life group that meets at our house every Sunday evening. And the last time we met, we, we gathered cookies. And they, they, some of them weren't even homemade. They were like, or, they were Oreos and uh, Keebler, the Keebler elf, little, um, the elf guy. I don't know what you call that, little elf cookie. And we packaged those for our neighbors. And we said, you know, we're, we're going to love them. We're not going to um, necessarily invite them to church or we're not going to... Um, flaunt our goodness or our love. We just want to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we went around to several of our neighbors and our kids passed out the cookies after the fact. And this is new for our life group. They don't know this. I received a note from a neighbor that we rarely talk to. Personalized. Um, the front says, thank you for the cookies, by the way. And it says this. We appreciate the cookies. Y'all are the first neighbors to give something for us. We have been there over a year and a half. And you know, that hit my heart and said, Lord, why are we, it was something so small. Lord, we're contributing to their elevated sugar levels. God, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to hurt their health. But you would not believe that a simple token 
and a simple flag, and this is a small flag, made an impact on this young girl. That she would write a handwritten note. And so I want to say, be a, be a standard bearer. And the battle might be great, and the battle might be as small as a bag of cookies. But never underestimate the power of Christ in you if you live intentionally for the gospel. Be a standard bearer. And often we see in our life that we should not accept the pressures of society. We are to hold the standard of Christ and not accept what the world says that we should look like. Moms, if you are working and you're doing so for the for the betterment of your family, and that's something that God has called you to do. Don't let society pressure you in thinking that you're a horrible mom because you're, you're working. And if God has called you to stay in the home and work, it is work to stay in the home and love your family. Do not accept the pressure of society that you are a bum and you're not contributing. That is a lie. And church, do not accept the pressure of, of society that say, you should look like this if you follow Christ, or you should say this, or you should wear this. May we hold the standard of Christ in our life and say, Lord, if I am the only image of you that Pharaoh sees, I will wear that image proudly. We will wear that for the glory of God and for you and you alone. Let me remind you this, parents, there's a lot of things that you can do in life that's really good, but if you teach your child how to throw an awesome curveball and don't show them Christ, you have failed them. If they graduate as valedictorian of their class and they found the next Facebook, I don't know what that would look like, and they are billionaires and you have not given them Christ. We have failed them. In church, if someone comes in here and we make a big show and we make them feel good about their lives and we have not given them Christ, we have failed them. But if your child can't even throw a curveball and yet you have shown them the glory of Christ, you are an awesome parent. And if your child struggles in school, and you have shown them that their self-worth is not in grades, but it is in the grace of Christ. You have succeeded. And if your child is running from the Lord right now, and yet you, have, you are consistently holding the standard of Jesus, don't give up. You are not a failure. And the flag of Christ will fly high in your life. Church, may we... Lift high the banner of God. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner, and may we carry that with us. The second principle we see in Scripture is this. Not only should we lift high the banner of Christ in our life, but verse 3 and following, God says that I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Another truth in Scripture is we see that that God knows our hearts. Like God, God, where you sit right now, God knows your heart. And you, if, before you think, that's awesome. Like God knows my heart. This is what the Lord knows about your heart. One, 1 Samuel 16 says that God does not look at outside appearance, but he looks at the heart. 
And I'm reminded that no one knows our hearts more than our moms. Have you ever walked in your house before and your mom looked at you and said, what's wrong? And you say, what do you mean? Or they look at you and they say, who's the girl? Mom, what are you talking about? Right? Or did something happen at school? Or they see joy in your heart and you're trying to, you're trying to hide the surprise that you've made. And they say, well, what do you have for me? I'm reminded there's nothing, there's no one in this world that can see my heart more than my mom. And how much more true of that is that of the Lord, our Heavenly Father. But this is what God knows about our heart. Are you ready for this? First thing we see, Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man on the earth was great, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is what God knows about our hearts. They are evil. You say, well, that's a horrible thing to say. Okay, so they are evil continually. That's a, a even more horrible thing to say. Jeremiah the prophet sings a second verse of the same song. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then the Lord says, I search the heart and I test the mind. I want you to know right now that God knows your heart. And moms, I, I want to give you some comfort right now. You do not have a perfect child. They are not perfect. We can prove that daily. There is no perfect person. So we need to, we need to get over the fact that we should, we should protect our kids and keep them in this perfect bubble. God knows their heart. Even if we ignore their heart, God knows our heart, and he knows my heart is wicked. Don't worry, there is hope. Not only does God know my heart and your heart, but he knows the parts of our heart that are calloused to his grace. Verse 3 here in the scripture say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now we see a formula over and over again in, in three ways. We know that often in this last, probably these three um, verses and three chapters that God says that he hardened Pharaoh's heart that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. If you look back at chapter 5, this is all stemming from verse 2. So if you're here thinking, well, what a cruel thing that God would harden someone's heart. How can God be a loving father if he would harden anyone to his grace and his love and his mercy? But look at chapter 5, verse 2. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. We see that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and God knew the places that he struggled. This is a question that everyone asks at some point in their life. Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? Parents, moms, dads, the number one question that your child will have in their life is this question. Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? Hold high the banner. 
your neighbors, the number one question they're going to have in their life, who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? The number one question that you have in your life that can ever be answered is this, who is God that I should listen? He is the one true God, and he knows your heart, and he knows the parts of your heart that are hard and callous, and we will see that shortly in the plagues. Thirdly, we see this about our hearts. God knows not only the hardness of your heart, but God knows how much your heart can take. God knows how much our heart, if God knows my heart, he knows when I feel like I am pressed beyond belief. And if God knows my heart and he knows my struggle, then God will comfort me in my struggle. And so if you're here this morning and you and you are struggling through life, that Mother's Day is a difficult day, and for many it is. God knows how much your heart can take, and he knows what your heart needs. God knows our heart. So trust him. Give him the callous places of your heart. Trust him with your life, and open your life to him and say, Lord, I pray that you would comfort me as only you can. Lift high the banner. The Lord looks at your heart. So now let's look at the plagues. The third principle we see in Scripture is that we should lean on his strength. So a father's plea, lift high the banner. The Lord is looking at your heart. And third, lean on his strength. And we're going to walk through these plagues, plague by plague. You see, because God knows the parts of our hearts that are difficult. God knows where we are leaning. God knows what we use in our life to lean up for our own strength. So God surgically in Pharaoh's life, God surgically takes away some of Pharaoh's strength. And after every time that God is sending something Pharaoh's way, he's asking, Pharaoh, are you listening? Because remember, Pharaoh's question in 5.2 is what? Who is the Lord that I should listen? So after every pillar of strength that God takes away, God asks Pharaoh, Pharaoh, are you now listening? I have shown myself true. Are you listening? And so let's walk through how God still in our life takes away our pillars of strength that we may listen to his goodness. Verse 14, the first plague. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. So the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the Nile, throughout the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. The Nile River was the lifeblood of Egypt. It was the source of strength and commerce. It was as if the Lord took away oil, the stock market, and the power grid and fresh, clean water system all in one. Think about that. If God took away your water, if God took away your electricity, if God took away your bank account in one day, how that would affect you. And yet this is what God is reminding us. He's taking away this strength. This would be total chaos. And at least three gods, um, Osiris, New, and Happy, Egypt had a God happy. He was the, the God that would associate with the Nile. 
that God completely humiliated them in this. And I believe one of the questions God is asking us here in this first plague, do you find strength and identity in your job, in the security of your bank accounts, and in your own strength? Do you find security because you live in America and you think that you're secure because of our military? Egypt is the strongest nation at this time, and God is slowly taking those pillars away. Are you here this morning and you find your strength in your job? If God took that away this morning, would you still worship him? Would you still worship him? Plague number two. It doesn't end with blood in the water system. Chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. And if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Anyone terrified of frogs? Will you admit? Anyone just hate frogs? Okay, we have some people. I, I would say frogs and lizards like, are in the same gross category for me. Um, I don't want warts and I, want, I don't want slimy frogs. This, this is where they are. Verse 3, the river will bring forth frogs which will go up and come into your house, come into your bedroom, in your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and onto your kneading bowls. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you went home today and your house was inundated with frogs? How gross and nasty, how discomforting that would be that if you could not walk through your home without stepping on a frog or kicking them, how disrupted that would be for our life. Frogs in the ancient Near East, frogs for the Egyptians were so sacred that they could not kill them. They were also symbols of fertility. And notice we see here that after the frog plague that Pharaoh makes an emotional appeal to God of fake repentance. I'm reminded with these frogs that oftentimes we worship at the altar of our family. We worship at the God of fertility, don't we? If we're not careful at parents, we make our kids our life. And if I am living because of my kids, I am not living for the Savior. And the most helpful thing I can do for my children is to model what Christ-likeness looks like. They need that. May we not, as a church, may we not worship at the altar of our kids and our family. May we not worship at the altar of frogs, the, the, the altar of fertility. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say, you know what, we're going to rest. We're going to worship, and we're not going to do this. Because I love my family, but I love my Savior more. And the reason I love my Savior more is because I love my family. May we not worship. Is, is your family a pillar of worship and idolatry in your life? Pharaoh does not listen, so we see a third plague. Look at verse 16 of chapter 8. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, and so Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, struck the dust of the earth, 
and it became lice on man and beast. And, and the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Oh, there's nothing worse. I feel like I need to scratch. I see some of you scratching your head right now. I feel like I just need to scratch my head. Can you imagine if God infected us all with lice? There is nothing that would turn me to God's grace faster than that. And we see that they are coming from the dust. Some would say gnats. Even the, the magicians in verse 19 say, surely is, this is the finger of God. You see, for the magicians, they were so ceremonial clean that they would bathe daily. And that for the magicians, for the cult in Egypt, they could not touch flies or gnats or lice because that would make them unclean. And it's almost as if God is attacking the idolatry of worship. That God is telling the magicians, he's telling Egypt, you think you're clean because of your moral behavior. You think you're clean because you do this. You think you're clean because you take ritual baths every day. Well, you know what? Take this. Here, here's some lice for you. You can't touch them? Well, they're going to touch you. And most of us don't worship at the idol of cleanliness. But if you do, are you, are you idolizing that in your life? One thing that we idolize often is that we can idolize our religion. That we can take pride and say, God, I am, I'm a good person because I am morally clean. God, I've never robbed a bank. And I've never blown up, a, and I've never um, been a terrorist. And we teach our kids, right? We teach them sin. We try to teach them the weight of sin when they're young. Right? Do you know you're a sinner? Well, what's that? Explain the sin. Have you ever told a, a lie, even a white lie? Have you ever not cleaned your room? And I know you wouldn't. I know you don't do it on purpose. And so we almost teach naturally. We teach our kids, well, you know, you, the Bible says you sin, but they're not really bad sins. So God's going to save you from your not really bad sins. No, we need, to teach, we need to teach our community, look, the heart of man is evil continually. And that Jesus Christ saves. Are we worshiping at the altar of moral relativism and at the altar of moral goodness? We are not good. And if God has to send lice our way to make us turn to the cross, may it be. May it be. The next plague, it gets worse. We see in chapter 8 of 21, If you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and your houses. In Alabama, we understand what flies are. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of flies and the ground on which they stand. And that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell and no swarms of flies will be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord your God in your midst. You see, the significance of this plague is that it was from the sky as the previous plagues were from the water or the land. And this is the first plague that there's now a distinction between the people of God and the people of Egypt. As if God is reminding them, Egypt, who are you trusting in the day of judgment? So I'm going to send my plague on you and not my people. Who are you trusting in the day of judgment? And I believe that's a pillar that we still struggle with, isn't it? That we say, you know what, well, as long as you go to church, as long as you made a decision at some point in your life, 
If that's all you need on the day of judgment. Don't worry if it's real or not. Don't worry if you are living in fruits of repentance. Don't worry if, if God is still doing things in your life. Just make a decision. Worry about the judgment. But God's word says that if we believe with our heart, if we confess with our mouth, if we act upon that, that we will be saved. Yes, but that action now leads me to a new life of faith an eternal life, a new birth. So may we not cling to some emotional decision we've made because we're waiting for the day of judgment. May we cling instead to Jesus Christ. God, take away our idols. And yet, Pharaoh does not listen. The next plague is this. Chapter 9, verse 1, livestock. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, tell him, If you refuse, verse 3, Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the oxen, and the sheep. A very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So that nothing shall die that belongs to the children of Israel. You see, the Egyptians had all sorts of sacred cows in their lives. Many worshipped cattle or cows. That was a sense of, that was a, a belief that they had in religion that was also a sense of pride that they took in wealth. And I believe this morning God is asking you and I this, what is, what is one of our strengths? What is one of our sacred cows? A sacred cow is anything in our life that is beyond criticism. Hmm. Do you have that? Well, you know, I will do anything for God as long as he doesn't mess with my sports team. Right? I'm going to commit, I'll commit any day but Saturday to the Lord. And I say that as someone who loves football. Well, God, I'll do anything for you, but don't ask me to do this. Is your sacred cow your sense of strength? And maybe God today is saying, if you don't give that up, I will send a plague and I will kill that cow. That you may listen to my voice. Pharaoh does not listen, and we see a sixth plague. The sixth plague is hail. Verse 18, chapter 9. Behold, tomorrow this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as not seen in Egypt until its founding until now. The nature of hail was significant. It's often associated with an act of judgment. And in verse 27, we see that Pharaoh cries out to God in a sense of repentance. Pharaoh's repentance because of difficulty is not true. And in verse 27, we see Pharaoh say this. He said, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. In verse 35, it says, the heart of Pharaoh is hard. Have you been comfortable enough to make an emotional decision because times were difficult? I've been guilty of that, Right? Times are difficult. We say, Lord, if you will make this stop, Lord, stop the hell, and I will pray daily. Lord, stop the hell, and I promise I will read my Bible. I promise I will come back. Lord, just make it stop. I am wicked, and as soon as it stops, we say, oh, that wasn't so bad. May that not be a source of strength in our life. But it keeps going. The seventh plague 
chapter 10, verse 5, we see the plague of locusts and that they will fill their houses in verse 6. The houses of your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, they will eat everything, the Bible says. They shall eat the residue of what is left so that which remains from the hail will not be. You know, I'm reminded, often we take pride in our in our stores of food, don't we? I think sometimes we forget in our lives that we can just go to the grocery store and get food in our time of need. And we forget to look at those that are daily struggling with food. And I believe oftentimes we forget that we should pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Because for many of us, not intentionally, but unintentionally, our crops, our pantry has become a source of comfort. If I'm thirsty, I can go to my refrigerator and I can push the little thing and, and filtered water comes out. It's not even the nasty tap water. It's filtered water. Or I can go and I can get a cheese stick or I can go and, in my pantry and get some buffalo um, pretzel sticks or whatever we want. And if we're not careful, we forget to say, God, thank you for providing for me. God, thank you for my daily bread. Because, Lord, that can be taken away. And, God, if we have been wasteful, God has impressed upon me in the last year or two that we're so wasteful at our home sometimes of the food that we throw away. God, forgive me for being wasteful when people are dying around the world. I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, I can't ship it. I can't ship that to to some far off place. I can't take my leftovers and put it in FedEx. But you know what? I can be cognizant of the fact that I should not waste what God has given me. And Lord, forgive me if my food abundance is a sense of pride. And then we see this. We're going to skip to the plague of darkness. Verse 21, chapter 10, the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, and that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. You know, nothing says judgment in our life like darkness. Have you ever been in a dark room that was so dark that you could feel it? I've been in a cave before where they'll turn off the lights, and it's almost, you could put your hand in front of your face. And you could see nothing. God uses darkness in our lives to get our attention. God uses darkness to take away our strength and to make us realize that we are weak. And the beauty and the secret of the Christian life is this. Christianity is not a religion for the strong. It is a religion for those that have realized that they are weak and that God alone is strong. And it's okay for us to say, I don't have it together. It's okay for us to say, look, world, I was walking in darkness, and it's not, I didn't find the light switch, but God sent his son that was my light. And if God slowly removes our strengths, will we listen? I'm reminded that often it takes a dark night to make me see the light. And I'm reminded of Matthew 27, the darkest day in history, that when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died upon the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth, the world was dark. And in that dark moment, Jesus Christ said these words, My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe God's response is this. One, because I cannot turn my back on sin. And his second response was, son, I have forsaken you so that those who believe in me will not ever have to face and feel the darkness of that night. That those who trust in me will not be forsaken because of the love of the Father. Titus says this, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, not by righteousness of what we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us, and he has washed us by the regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit. Here is the grace and hope of God this morning. That God the Father wants to save you and wash you clean. That he is kind towards you. And you say, well, Josh, you don't understand what I have done. I don't, God does, and he still sent his son to die for you. That is Kindness. Kindness is saying, Josh, I'm not forsaking you because I forsook my son on your behalf if you would believe in me and that if you would put your faith and that you would act upon that. So maybe today, the best Mother's Day gift you could ever give your mom is to put your trust in the Heavenly Father. Because I believe God will take away our strengths. And for some of you, you're on plague number one. Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? Listen now. Listen before it gets to plague nine. But some of you are hard-hearted. And God knows the places of your strength. He knows where you're callous. And he will, he will take away those things. Listen to the Savior who loves you so. And I pray that God would give you strength to lift high his banner. And that he would reign supreme in our lives that we would show the world that the gospel is the power of Christ to salvation. Let's pray. Father.